Welcome to another episode of the Millennial Recruiter Podcast, the podcast for forward-thinking recruiters. On this episode, I caught up with the awesome Joe Major, founder of Diversity in Recruitment. As you can probably guess by the company name, Joe is a thought leader in DNI and is regularly running workshops for the recruitment industry in terms of how they can improve their processes to ensure that they are able to hire for diversity and inclusion. So we speak around a whole manner of things around this topic, what it is, and most importantly, what recruiters can do better to ensure that minoritized candidates are represented within the recruitment process. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Please feel free to send me or Joe any messages in terms of questions that you have. And if you do like it, I'd really appreciate it if you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much and enjoy. Joe, welcome to the Millennial Recruiter Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great, thanks, Ben. Thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I certainly am as well, Joe. I think I, I said to you prior to this uh, in this call, I've been really looking for someone to explore diversity, equality, inclusion on the podcast. And I was having a conversation the other week, and I think that, that a couple of people had just attended your course, which okay. made, it, it seemed to be Good a match made, match made in heaven. <laughs> so, uh, obviously, for, for the listeners, we're going to talk quite a bit about DNI today. And um, Joe, do you, do you want to tell us how you got into uh, diversity and inclusion? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Um... So I've been, been in the recruitment sector, well, for the majority of my career, straight after finishing uni back in the year 2000. Do the maths. It's a long time, <laughs> right? Um, and right up to uh, 2017, I was still on a desk, um, still billing, um, still responsible for targets, placing candidates, bringing on new clients and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then um, I guess it was when I joined the last recruitment firm that I worked for, um, where I started having more and more conversations with clients around diversity inclusion. And, and also it was the first time I kind of, I guess, joined a business where I was really aware of the identity of the folks around me. Yeah. Um, and on some occasions, how that differed to who I was as well um, as, as a person and the types of environments that I was used to working in. Um, and I was, it's just one of those, it was a re, being somewhere at the right time. Yeah. And I guess talking about my experience and my viewpoints and what I was seeing coming through from clients and talking about this to our senior leadership team in the business. And then I guess giving me an opportunity and giving me a platform within the organization to actually start looking at what we did, we were going to do about it. Uh, and certainly, you know, work around um, from an internal culture perspective. So um, with that, that, that puts some responsibility on my shoulders. So I started to, I guess, go on this journey of self-education. Um, obviously speaking to people around me and making sure I always got perspective and stories of lived experience, but just making myself more aware of actually, you know, that it wasn't just about the quality being something that we should all experience as human beings, you know, actually looking at looking at it from a, a, a business benefit and commercial perspective, but also really understanding the reasons why we're in a situation where we don't have a quality 
saying yeah. not just in the recruitment industry but you know across 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 the world within the uk um etc and um and yeah and i guess that's 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 where it kind of that's where it came from really um and it's just been you know it's just been non-stop i mean i guess my work with appsco uh, yeah. more recently and helping them to evolve their the work that we they were doing around dni for members that just gave me even more opportunity to immerse myself in that world um and it's just a you know it's a continual journey of, of learning i learn stuff every day i just non-stop watch listen read you know plug into like influences within the dni space listen to what they're saying and also make sure that i'm you know connecting in with people who are underrepresented and minoritized so i don't lose sight of that yeah. if that makes sense yeah no definitely definitely and one thing you said was about understanding dni is a, a so D, yeah dni is a real benefit for business why do you think that is um I think, I mean, if you look at it in its simplest terms, right, you know, when you've got a group of homogenous people who all share the same identity, you know, have had similar lived experiences, similar education, exposure to, you know, the same society and community, I think that there isn't a whole heap of perspective in that type of situation. Um, and, you know, I think those types of groups, you, you know, tend to agree with each other, have very similar viewpoints, think about similar ideas. And, you know, if you look at, you know, do we see a lot of innovation? Do we see a lot of critical thinking? Do we, do those types of groups kind of like challenge each other? And I guess if we're looking at, you know, what do we look for in business these days? We look for innovation, we look for creativity, we look for perspective. Great leaders are not making decisions on their own, right? They're looking to the people around them to help them make the right choices and to help them develop, develop and evolve services that, you know, are, are kind of fit for purpose. So, so yeah, just from a, from a, you know, from a, from an innovation and performance perspective, having different experiences, different viewpoints and different perspectives is always going to be a business benefit. And there is all the data out there. I mean, it's nothing new. The data has been kicking around for decades, you know, in terms of profitability, innovation, decision-making ability all that kind of stuff so you know the, the evidence and the data is there but I guess if you're looking at it from a um, from a culture perspective surely you know to have that really rich mix of people is going to be better for you as a person when it comes to your own kind of professional development and personal evolution right yeah definitely I think uh, when I look at the people that I'm around the most frequently one thing that I'm quite proud of is I made a conscious effort when I was young to connect with very, very, very different people. Yeah. And I think that has allowed me a, a level of perspective that mm. not everyone gets to have because they're very used to having a echo chamber of similar yes. viewpoints. I work, yeah. work, one thing I quite like is if I look at my Facebook feed, people can be all, all over the place on different yeah. issues. Brexit was like, half my friends went one way, half mm. went the other. It's actually quite mm. nice to see different conversations because mm. it gives me a, a wider viewpoint and allows me mm. to see an issue in a more rounded way. Now, obviously you said about the, the business benefit, but I think one thing that I love, particularly in terms of what I do placing veterans, is that societal perspective as well. Like I actually feel really proud as a recruiter that I mm -hmm. get to enable a, a group that 
sometimes are overrepresented in, in the worst parts of societies in homelessness affects veterans mm. quite a bit so I'm glad to be there pushing forward uh, veterans in the workplace. How do you think recruiters can impact society more in terms of DNI? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And you know what? It's a big, big part of my message to recruiters throughout training. So everything I do is centered around minoritized and underrepresented candidates. Yeah. And it's actually but I don't think we always think of it like that. We think of, you know, there's this label of diverse candidates. We think about diversity in its simplest form, usually around race and gender and age or yeah. ability, disability, etc. But it's actually thinking, taking a real deeper look and starting to think about how did these people become minoritized and underrepresented in the UK workplace, right? Yeah. And then really understanding, when you start to dig around in that, right, it's not it's not nice to read it it has an emotional impact some of you know the learning journey isn't all fluffy and you know and and, 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 and full of rainbows and easy to read it's like thinking about people's lived experience and and and, and that the result of society and structures and things that have been in play for for decades hundreds of years has had a result on the fact that we now don't see full representation in the UK workplace. And, yeah. and, and what, does, what are those barriers doing? They're, they're basically creating a pecking order in terms of who can succeed, who can be successful, who can go out to work and feed their family and have a certain standard of living. And all this stuff is set up for the majority, right? Yeah. So as soon as you start to really get that and center what you're doing around underrepresented and minoritized human beings that's when it starts to really empower you and you kind of kick out and go I'm not comfortable with that I don't you know that I'm not happy with why that's happening so actually what can I do to make my mark on that what can I do to start to influence change and actually be an ally yeah. and start being an advocate and start challenging the stuff that I don't like hearing and I think recruiters have got, I mean, look, we control, or we say control, we've got power over 60, 70% of the employment market, right? So that's what I think the last time I looked, it was around 60, 70% of UK hires are done through recruitment businesses, right? Yeah. So as an industry, look at that power that we've got to turn the dial on this. We, if we start to center what we do around this and prioritize equality, we can start to help our clients to, to change their workforces and start to remove barriers to work that underrepresented people face. Does that, sorry, does that, does that, does that make sense? A 100%. I think you really hit the nail on the head there where recruiters can be a, a gatekeeper to, to certain parts of it. And I think obviously there are, there are negative expectations that are negative things that have happened in the recruitment industry where we haven't been mm. as good as we, we could have been. I think now we do have an opportunity to, to do more. I mean, what, what, one thing I was almost quite proud of, of working within the recruitment industry compared to other professional services mm. was I did see a, a level of representation, particularly in terms of 
gender equality to a point. I don't think it's across the industry, but I have reported into more women than I've reported into men. Mm. And I'm actually quite proud of that fact as, a, as an industry, mm-hmm. we do have that. But there, there is so much further that we can do. So, so what can re- recruiters do to really be uh, more impactful in terms of society mm. and DNI? No, it's a, it's a good question and it's a massive answer. <laughs> it takes us five weeks to explore that in my training. But I think we, what I see, tend to see is there's loads of really good intentions when it comes to the work that we want to do as a recruitment industry. And we tend to go for the stuff that may be easier to do. You know, we tend to put on the events or, you know, post things on LinkedIn, you know, stand in solidarity, solidarity with, 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 certain, with certain groups. And sometimes I think we come at it from a comms perspective. Um, some may argue against that, but that's my personal kind of view. And I think first, first things first, it's like, okay, let's really, let's understand, um, let's understand kind of the barriers that, that, that people face and let's look at the way that we've set up our processes to benefit the majority okay. to benefit people like us that don't you know what and when I say people like us I'm gen, generalizing you know look thinking about the recruitment businesses that I've worked for and actually let's really develop an understanding of what barriers to our services exist and let's start looking at the stuff that we can have immediate control. And a lot of that is your actual recruitment processes. You know, the absolute basics where is your website accessible? You know, can that 20% of the population who are neurodiverse or have a disability access your job boards on your website? You know, is that message of inclusion there on your website? Or is it full of like homogenous images and bias loaded language? Does it feel like you've got to be in this select group to be able to like, you know, converse with those recruiters? Um, start to think about, you know, what does your shop window look like? How, how representative are you? How welcome are you? What's that message of inclusion? You know, that's absolutely like the first thing that I think you've got power to do. And then it's just looking at things like, you know, your, your application processes, how can people access your services? Do you just provide one route to your recruitment processes? Or is that is there multiple different options for people to access your services, send their details in a way that suits them? You know, all inclusive interviews, um, you know, doing things to really help your recruiters be aware of bias and what's influenced decision making, what's created preferences, looking at the impact of that and doing the work to try and, you know, kind of break that down. So there's the whole piece around process and the recruitment life cycle. And we could go on about that, but, you know, there's so many moving parts to that. Um, but then, you know, looking at the way that we actually, you know, attract underrepresented talent, you know, it's not necessarily a case of you know cherry picking some groups that certain specialist websites focus on support and then just putting out your you know your basic advert that you use all the time 
um, that's not going to necessarily cut it. And I think sometimes we look for like really quick wins and we kind of sit back and think, right, where are all the candidates? And it takes more than that. So thinking about that, that message of inclusion and weaving that through everything you do from an attraction strategy piece. Yeah. You know, when was the last time that you put on a candidate event and you asked folks about accessibility? I know it's something that didn't wasn't always front of mind for me, yeah. asking people if, you know, if they could access what we were doing or did we have to make some adjustments to accommodate everybody. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just I think making the recruitment industry, the recruitment sector industry feel accessible, that you're welcome regardless of your identity you're welcome we're going to value you you can trust us you can feel safe you can be who you are yeah. and what we're looking for is skills and experience yeah, uh, does that make sense a hundred percent it's funny when you say all of this stuff it really gets my mind thinking i think i said it to you before i want one of the reasons that i'm interested in dni is because i know that there is so much to learn and it, it when you were saying that, it really made me think of things that even I could do more of, because it is a journey at the moment in terms of DNI. Like you, you said it yourself, there's hundreds of years of different structures being in place that have created a, a society which does have tears. Like uh, remembering my sociology degree now and different areas of uh, how people like can move or progress that either like local mobility or career mobility it, it, there, there are lots of things that are trapped in place and I've seen old school views before with uh, an, an agency that I worked at who said to me about hiring more graduates mm. more graduates probably wasn't the answer <laughs> it's yeah it's it's interesting that point yeah it's um I, I I've seen the result of a the resulting culture of a hiring strategy that focuses on graduates but on i mean taking it a step further very specific university preferences mm. and all taking that up a notch further the level of what you know the classification of degree we know the links between education and underrepresentation and we look at the majority of folk that have got access to that level of Russell Group, you know, Red Brick Uni. And by that, you're already, you know, you're already you're taking a, cook, a cookie cutter approach to who you want in your business. But what you're doing is you're assigning job worthiness and linking it into academic ability. And, and the result of that is a real lack of representation across your recruitment business, right? And, and I think this is one of the biggest challenges for a lot of organizations. You know, I'll speak to a recruitment firm and I'll say, talk to me about your candidate pool. I'm like, Do you know what? We really don't have a challenge when it comes to race and ethnicity. You know, that's majority candidates are, you know, Black, Asian or minority ethnic. So that's not a challenge for us. And then I'll go, well, let's have a look at that why is your recruitment team or why right why have you not got race and ethnicity representation on your recruitment team and often it's like do you know what isn't that interesting but it's i mean look it's human nature right 
we know that people love to hire people that look like them, right? It's their safe space, it's their safe zone. But I think sometimes the we're still carrying the hangover of these really old school ways of figuring out what a great recruiter looks like. And what yeah. we haven't got is representation. You know, when you're in a recruitment business and you're reaching out to underrepresented candidates, they want to see people like them. They want to hear the stories of folks that have had similar journeys because they need that level of understanding and empathy. And like when you've got, you know, this message that we have, you know, you go to the majority of recruitment websites and you will look at the join us or meet the team. And what do you see on there? Mm. It's usually linked to like stuff that I would have loved like back in the day. So there's loads of social activities, there's loads of trips to Ibiza. Very rarely will, you know, it's all physical stuff. There's a lot of drinking stuff. It's a lot of party. And it's just like, and what we're trying to say at the same time is, but we understand the quality, but we will, we're really behind this, but we're going to talk to you about like what our favorite cocktail is. It's just like, (laughs) it it, it just, there's a bit of a disconnect there, isn't there, between what you're trying to achieve and actually the message that you're putting out there. A hundred percent. I think I I shared a story with you the other day from my dad, who pitched this idea to attract more women returners into work Mm. and basically built a perm team of people that worked, I think, there was only one of his consultants that was full-time, the rest were part-time. And this team went from, uh, I think, 150 uh, kgp per year to 2 million within 18 Mm. months because he looked at a workforce that were underrepresented in recruitment yet had an extremely viable skill set because they all had experience. Mm. Unfortunately, a lot of recruitment agencies wanted people that were full-time, you could work from eight till six and you you hit that the nail on the head as well about the Ibiza type culture I was talking to one of my trainees the other day I was attracted into the industry by things like that Mm. but Mm. quite the amount of problems it caused me like later on after spending (laughs) 10 years wanting to do the the party and stuff I hear you I I think as as recruiters we, we can be better we particularly when we look at our teams now, now, obviously, one one question. This is probably quite a, a a controversial topic, but obviously, like as part of DNI, uh, yeah, DNI. I almost say DNA by accident, and then have to think about it. Um, companies and shortlists with shortlists that have requirements on diversity. Is that so sometimes I feel that is discounting people who might have a a skill set and isn't necessarily the right for full situations what are your thoughts in terms of do you mean in, do you mean in terms of clients putting like quarters on yeah, yeah. ethnic or gender uh, gendered yeah. or like, disability like quotas. Say we, want, we want 60 percent of the you know i, yeah. I call it the, di- the the identity shopping list <laughs> yes because yeah. literally that's what it is yeah. um yeah, I know it's a really good question, actually. Um, I've got like varying thoughts on it. I mean, I am a, I'm all for positive action. I'm yeah. all for businesses going, do you know what? We've done the work. 
we've seen the gaps, we know who's not in the room, and we need to do the work to make sure that we're reaching out to those groups and communities to get yeah. them interested in our business. But it's got to be backed up, hasn't it, by the work on inclusion, right, and yeah. making sure the culture's right. I'm seeing a lot of it from the recruiters I'm training. It's like, you need to agree to do this or we can't give you this project. Yeah. And some of the, I mean, you have to look at, this is why as a recruiter, you need to go armed with the data. You need to really have a good understanding of what representation looks like within your, business, within your sector and within your industry. And that data is always there. Before I start working with any business, I'll do a bit of a dive into, you know, what, 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 who's missing. Yeah. who have we got in abundance and usually those reports will give you the reasons to why and what the industry is doing about it so going armed with those facts so then when you you know your your clients throwing a 70 percent please of this group of people and you're like there isn't even 70 percent of that group of people in our entire industry yeah. or in our geographical location so i'm not sure what where you'd like me to to get those folks from yeah. So I think it's, um, I mean, I personally, I don't like attaching quotas. I think there's a really grey area in terms of that can blend into positive discrimination. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, the, the, the attraction piece has got to be there, but it's kind of like getting recruiters to have the confidence to ask the questions. That's really interesting that you request that. Talk to me about it. Talk to me about what you're doing within your organisation around diversity, why it matters and what your priorities are. Yeah. And talk to me about the work that you've done to make sure that, you know, you've got an inclusive environment where everybody's safe and welcome and doesn't face prejudice and discrimination. Um, I mean, that's, you know, that's a, a, a punchy conversation to have with a client, but why on earth should we be carrying all this weight on our shoulders yeah. at the whim of a client? who doesn't understand the question that they're asking you. Yeah. So I think it's not as easy to just miraculously come up with candidates who are not in your network. Um, this is why attracting underrepresented talent is a long-term strategy. Yeah. And what I think that, you know, it's, it's about really thinking about what's within your immediate capability, what is the long-term agenda, where do you want to be in terms of representation, and actually being able to talk to your clients about that. But then also making sure that they they understand that you know there are limitations with within what you can do, and that it's not as simple as just putting a you know a, an advert on a specialist job board, and then abundance of people are going to be knocking your door down. But I think this danger of attaching quarters creates the wrong type of behaviour. Hmm. And actually, Ben, I've even heard of recruiters being given financial in incentives to go out there and headhunt people of color yeah. right i mean what I, I i just can't even tell you how that situation makes me feel yeah. so that all that recruiters doing is looking at somebody's identity right yeah. focusing on identity yeah. not doing the work to make sure the client's got the right environment and is also you know controlling bias and having an inclusive recruitment process and a lot of the time all we want to do as recruiters is serve our clients yeah and i guess part of what i want to do through training is to empower recruiters to support clients and help them navigate the journey and to 
identify when they're not there yet and to advise them on things that they need to be putting in place. Yeah. Because what we don't want is organisations hiring for because of their identity and then those people landing there on day one and being subjected to discrimination, prejudice, microaggressions and shitty behaviour. Yeah, of course. <laughs> mm. And I think it's funny, like, seeing discussions on both sides of it. Because with, with stuff I do outside of recruitment, I'm into my music. And one of my favourite DJs posted about um, an apprenticeship scheme that was targeted at minority groups, people, mm. people of colour. And there was obviously some reactions to it some quite negative reactions mm. and I, I remember actually getting involved in the conversation as a recruiter it was actually a, a for someone a apprenticeship within formula one and I made a, a very brazen point to certain people and who got involved of okay look, go and look at f1 teams and and see how diverse they are unfortunately they're not it is a problem there mm -hmm. needs to be a, a reaction to it so I think when you look at a school level those types of incentives are really useful. I think getting people educated, creating apprenticeships or, or reaching difficult to reach groups and engaging with them about what they can potentially do. But yeah, when, when quotas are, exist at a high level where mm. there hasn't been the structures in place to either get someone to that level, or as you said, even, even if it's unconsciously, if someone has got a job based on their identity and they do not have the capability to fill it, mm they're going to be subject mm. to mm. mistreatment mm. because of yeah. a, a bias in, in terms of hiring them for identity which basically creates the problem more so yeah yeah and I, th I think what you said then about some of these in initiatives especially looking at you know pipeline talent early careers I think that is that's really it's it's something that we really really need to look at you know mm. even if we're if even if we're recruitment businesses who look at you know, we just hire people with experience. Can, can we actually be part of changing the, the, how the pipeline look in the future? Yeah. What can we actually do from an early careers perspective that might not benefit us, you know, right now? But how can we add value to this? So I think yeah, definitely these 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 in, initiatives or you know, and projects etc. definitely have a place. I will always ask they will work as long as you've done some level of due diligence when it comes to where you're placing people. Yeah. Because, for example, if you are a business operating in London, right, and um, you have a no, no people of colour within your organisation, I would want to know the reason why, right? Yeah. Why, why are you in that situation? And also, are you bringing in a apprentice or a trainee? A trainee, what's your motivation for that? Because that person won't have any role models in that organisation. That person will be the only, right? Yeah. How could that, how, how does that impact somebody on a psychological level, right? And what have you done to make sure that you've created a safe environment for that individual? And this is, I think, why we, we really need to be thinking very, very carefully about the consequences on young people, because young people are growing up in a world where there's a hell of a lot more acceptance, right? And they 
their 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 identity is fluid they can be who they want to be in their social circles and in education in further education higher education and then they go into the workplace and so it's a case of actually some of that identity they have to leave at the door and they're exposed to a whole new environment that actually just feels really alien to them they but you know they might be they might be the minority in an organization that, 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 that isn't really looking at solving the problem, but it's just bringing them in because it's part of an initiative that they can post about on social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, center you work around the individual rather than the fact that you're giving yourself a massive pat on the back because you, you know, you, you, you know, you're rescuing the poor kids from a life of, you know, poverty and you know and a, and, a, and, a, and a lack of career opportunity that's controversial i know it is but no no i, I, I think you're right so i remember being quite controversial in, in one of my approaches when i was younger which was i can take someone from a council estate and turn them into a better recruiter than i can someone from a red book uni because of that mindset of like if someone's grown up in a bit of a bad situation they have they are likely to have that hunger to want to do more it's certainly like where, where I came from in terms of being willing to work 60 70 80 hours a week and I know it was the same for some of the people that I was around where you didn't have money growing up so suddenly you could earn bonuses and you could treat your parents to meals out that they might not have been able to have before but that's also missing the point a little bit like I've realized now like it and I have seen that I suppose real diversity isn't trying to get someone who's hungry to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. It's trying to... Yeah. You should be grateful. People. Prove yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it, it was almost part of my mindset that, oh, someone took me on. I didn't come from this background, but they showed me the ropes and that they, they would teach me to be successful. Yeah, it's it? interesting, isn't it? Is that then, yeah, that it's, a, it's a really good... It, it's a good thing to think about because it's like what are we are we then expecting that what what's our expectations of that person it's almost like that saviorism piece isn't it well like yeah, i've given you this opportunity and you need you need to prove that this really meant something to you i've really put myself out here and it's just like again where's the equity in that you're actually you know you, yeah it's it's um it's a very very it's a brave thing for you to have admitted right but I think that is not an uncommon viewpoint. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, yeah. And I think now, like, what what I've learned over time is it really is looking at the different causes of problems that create a, a diversity in society, that create uh, expectations where someone from certain backgrounds are likely to achieve and others yeah. likely not to statistically yeah, yeah. and how we can bridge that gap yeah. and that it's yeah. not just about yeah saviorism it's about mm-hmm. really looking at social structures what i'll do jay i'm going to ask you like one one final question then like yeah. as a trainee recruiter like who might be early on into their career might not necessarily have the power to shift the organization that they're in what's one thing that they can do to support society to have more inclusion i think yeah no that's a really that's a really really good a good question i think that um 
you know, I was saying about, I think a lot of, especially, you know, your Gen Zers and your younger millennials, they're, 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 they're coming into work, coming into the industry, a lot more socially aware yeah. and their expectations i think of human behavior is, is is slightly more than maybe you know our our generation would have had and i think it's like what i would encourage them to do is just do what you can to influence people around you and to actually like humanize what you're what what you're doing and don't don't be afraid to actually be who you are at work don't don't be swayed to becoming like the people around you if you see something that you're not comfortable with talk about it you know be open about how that 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 impacts you and 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 use your voice to educate other people around you and try and share your perspective like of the world and be confident enough to do that because you have a viewpoint that other people can't don't have and that you know learning it doesn't just come from the top right it, it comes from the you know the talent that we're bringing into our business you know as a as a as a I guess what am I a, 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 a very very old millennial well you could argue that I'm not even that the the the, the, the generation above um I will, I need to learn about this stuff. I need to become more socially aware if I'm not already. So, and I think it's about actually don't be swayed by majority thinking in your business, stick to your guns. Obviously you've got a certain, you've got to kind of fit within certain parameters, but when somebody says to you that candidate's not right for this role, you explore that candidate and you really figure out your own what your own thought process and your own decision making and really be aware of other people's bias and preferences and you give people time you figure out your own what good looks like in your own way that supports a more equitable way of recruiting a more inclusive way of recruiting um and, and 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 be that force for changing things and influencing change within your business. Tell your stories. Be proud of who you are. And be proud of the people that you've got around you. And yeah, and um, and I, I do think there are more and more recruitment businesses that are really embracing that yeah. and are loving that stuff coming through from from the from early you know your gen setters. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Joe, I mean, that, that was a, a smashing answer there. Oh, was it? <laughs> that, I'll probably clip that up and uh, put it on LinkedIn by itself. But uh, thank you so much for your time. So for everyone listening, make sure you connect with Joe Major. For anyone interested in learning about DNI, Joe Major's got an extremely good course that's five weeks long that everyone is raving about. So, so make sure you connect with her. Thank you so much for your time, Joe. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.